from the book of John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. The Father, the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are, they are forgiven. And you do not forgive them, forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the, in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. Well, good morning, everybody. I just want to reintroduce for you our vicar. Victor Minatola, and uh, just want to review. Does everyone know what a vicar is? What in the world is a vicar anyway? Uh, vicar comes from uh, the, the word that we call, we say vicariously. So today I am standing in substitute of the pastor. Uh, and in the Lutheran church, we use the term vicar as a student pastor. Right. So you're uh, studying at my alma mater, Concordia yes. Seminary yes. in St. Louis. And I'm, I'm doing the, and, uh, uh, the same program, the specific ministry uh, pastor program that Pastor Max went through. And it's great. Uh, we don't see much of you, uh, Victor, because you're over at the Fishers campus. What's your role there? Uh, my title is Director of Worship Arts. Uh, so I, I help oversee the worship services. Uh, I primarily lead the contemporary worship service like Pastor Max does, um, and just help out with Bible studies and things like that. There's some great things going on over at Fishers. Uh, can you give us just a little, little yeah, bit of information? So, uh, so the Fishers site has been open since uh, the end of November. Um, we're, uh, we've, one of our touch points is the indoor play structure uh, that's open for free to the public Monday through Friday and Sunday uh, afternoons. We see roughly 1,000 kids coming through every single week. We're starting to see some families 
who have brought their kids to play at the play structure are now starting to worship with us. Uh, we, had, we sent uh, a postcard out with our Easter worship times to those people that are coming to the play area. And I know for a fact that, that a woman came to the sunrise service because she'd been bringing her grandson to the play area. And I have to say that uh, our vicar here is the pr one of the prime leaders for our downtown yep. ministry. Tell us just a little bit about downtown. Um, downtown kind of started out as, uh, as a Bible study um, on Sunday afternoons. Uh, and, and morphed into more word and sacrament ministry, and we're, and we're looking for ways that, that we can minister. Uh, a lot of it is young professionals down there is, is kind of our, our demographic, so finding ways that we can, we can reach out and grow the community and serve that downtown community. We praise God for everything that's happening at Fishers. Last week, uh, Easter, with, with we, the combined services. Combined services, we had almost 800. 800 people. Isn't that amazing? Let's give God a hand for that. Well, welcome. Thank you for your message, even in advance. Thanks, Pastor Luther. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in God's sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. So last week, we had our big Easter celebration, the, the, the day that we anticipated after the 40 days of Lent, the day when we could bring out the lilies, the lilies that have somewhat thinned out as people brought them home to beautify their, their houses, we got to shout and sing once again, Alleluia, because we, we put that word away during the penitential season of Lent. We get to join our families for ham suppers. Ham and baked beans was always the staple in our, in our Easter celebrations. We anticipate Easter. And one thing that has really stuck out at me this, this Lent and, and, and this Easter is that we as believers, we know the story and we tend to rush through from Good Friday to Easter, and Easter morning, the flowers are there, and the scents, and the horns, and the alleluias, and, and it's all big because we know the story. But, but I've been really challenged with stretching the story out, slowing it down, and experiencing it the way those, those first disciples did on that first Easter. And in reality, on Easter morning, where we are singing hallelujah, and we're saying, hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, hallelujah. They weren't there yet on Easter morning. On Easter morning, they still had a lot of doubts. On Easter morning, they were still trying to piece together what exactly is going on. And our reading for today from John begins in the evening of that first Easter. And we find out that in that evening of the first Easter, while we've shouted out our hallelujahs, they're locked up in a room because they're afraid of what the Jews might do. They know that the tomb is empty. They know that a couple of them have seen Jesus. And beyond that, they don't know what this means. And then you get to the week or so after Easter and you get the perennial Doubting Thomas sermon. Well, this is not going to be so much of, uh, oh, that Doubting Thomas, I'm glad I'm not like him kind of messages. But instead one that, that says, Maybe there's times when we ourselves have doubted. Maybe there's times when we have relied on our own reason and understanding, trying to make sense of things instead of looking to where God promises to be. Maybe there's times when we've been skeptical in our faith, and yet we're told simply to have faith. And so this morning, I'm going to say that Thomas was actually rather brave to voice his doubts to the disciples but it was a doubt that only Jesus could overcome. 
I want to take you back to June 17, 1996. The reason I know this date is because it was Christine and my first anniversary. Now, um, it was a Monday, and I worked out of the home at the time. So I had my home office with my, my, my home fax my, and, and, and my, my dial-up modem and my office phone line. And we also had our home phone line. And normally, I ignored the home phone while I was working during the day. But late in, the, in that Monday morning, the phone rang, and the caller ID was Christine's dad's number. And I'm thinking to myself, well, he's at work, and I know that her stepmom just got back in town from a conference. Now, her stepmom, who I love dearly, Annetta, she is from Germany. German is her first language. English is her third language. Somewhere in the middle, she learned Greek. So, so she speaks English fluently, but she's a scientist. She's very cerebral. She's very practical. Not only is English not her first language, but joking is also not her first language. So one of her gifts is not remembering birthdays and anniversaries. It's just not something that, that, that is part of her. And so we always give her a calendar every single Christmas that has everybody's birthday and anniversary there. So at least she can see it even if she doesn't remember it. So I'm thinking maybe Annette is calling to wish us happy anniversary, although that's probably not right. So I wonder why she's calling. So I answer the phone and I say, hey, how's it going? And I hear this trepidation in her voice as she says to me in her native tongue, Bill ist tot. And I knew enough of German from fourth grade to understand what she was saying. She said to me, Bill is dead. Christine's dad had died the day before. She got back from her conference and found out. And by the way, the day before was Father's Day. We found out on our first anniversary. And, and Annetta, who is not prone to joking, the first words out of my mouth out, out of hearing this news is, you're kidding, right? Why would she kid about such a thing? But it was the only thing inside of me that made sense. He had been out for a bike ride. There was no warning whatsoever. He was healthy, and he had a major cardiac event and died on the side of the road. So this was not something we were expecting. So I could not believe the words that I was hearing. It didn't add up. It didn't compute. It didn't make sense. And I think that's kind of how it was with Thomas when, when he heard everybody talking with excitement that they had seen Jesus, that Jesus was alive. This is more than just one or two sightings. They all saw him at once. And Thomas just doesn't. He can't get to where they're at. He can't believe what he's hearing. So let's go back because let's remember, this is still the first Easter. This, this is the day of Easter. So let's go back and let's stretch that story out a little bit. So we've got, we've got the morning. While it was still dark, the women went to the tomb and they found the tomb empty. And, and so they ran to tell, to tell the, the brothers. And Peter and John run back and they've got the foot race. And, and, and they see that indeed the tomb is empty. And in fact, not only is it empty, but the grave clothes are still there. The, the grave clothes here and then the cloth over his face is over here. They know that the grave is empty, but they still haven't seen Jesus yet. And they start going, what, what is going on here? And then they leave, and Mary lingers, and Mary is crying, and then, and then she it meets Jesus. She doesn't know that it's him at first, but she sees Jesus, and he says, go and tell my brothers to wait for me because I'm going to come to them. And then she goes to them, and then we hear about, about the two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus. We're going to hear more about their story next week, where they're, they're walking, and Jesus showed up alongside them, and he talked with them. 
and ate dinner with them, and he broke bread and said, peace be with you, and they knew that it was Jesus. And so you've got all these different events. And so on that Sunday night, they're gathered together in a locked room, and they're trying to piece together what this all means. Who saw what? Who heard what? Who experienced what? Right now, there's only a couple people that have actually seen Jesus. What does this mean? And as they are in this locked room, Jesus appears to them, and he says, peace be with you. And then he shows them the wounds in his hands, and he shows them the wound in his side, and it's at that moment that they realize that this is Jesus, and John tells us that they were overjoyed. This, the evening of Sunday, is when the Easter celebration really started for those first disciples. That's when they are overjoyed and when they are shouting out, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, Alleluia. And how do they recognize him? By his wounds. Jesus' presence cast out their fear and cast out their doubt. But then John tells us that for whatever reason, Thomas, who was one of the twelve, was not there with them that Sunday night. You ever walked into a room and the look on your friend's face as their jaws are dropped and their eyes are open wide and they'll, and they'll say, you just missed it. You'll never believe what, what just happened. And so they try and tell you what just happened and they're all excited, but you can't quite get to where they're at because you didn't experience it yourself. Sounds like a cool story, but you didn't experience it, so you can't quite get to where they are. And I imagine the conversation that, that they must have had once Thomas showed up. Thomas, Thomas, he's alive. We saw him. He, he, he breathed the Holy Spirit on us. He showed us his wounds. And Thomas goes, guys, none of this makes any sense. You say that you saw him. I want to see him too. And not only do I want to see him, I want to touch him. I want to put my finger where the nail was on his hand. I want to put my hand in his side where the spear pierced him. And unless I can do those things, I can't believe what you're saying. You hear the desperation in, in Thomas's voice. And you hear the vulgarity in what he's asking. In fact, one of the translations doesn't just say, I want to place my hand in his side. It says, I want to thrust my hand into the place where the spear thrust his heart. This is almost obscene what Thomas is asking, but he says, you saw, but unless I can touch and see, I will not believe. I cannot believe. But if I touch and see, then I will. And I imagine Mary, Mary who was, who was in the garden, and when she realized that it was Jesus who was, touch, who, who was talking to her, she wrapped her arms around his legs, and Jesus said, Mary, don't hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. I imagine Mary saying, Thomas, he wouldn't even let me embrace him how do you expect that he's going to let you touch his wounds? But Thomas expressed his doubts. And then what did the rest of the believers do? Did they, did they kick Thomas out and say, we can't, we can't have you around with these doubts? No, in fact, the opposite is true. We don't know what happens in that week. But what we do know from John's testimony is that following Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, just like we're at right now, that Thomas was there with the rest of the disciples. But again, the room is locked. And again, 
Jesus appears in their midst. And again, Jesus says, peace be with you. And whereas on that, on that Easter evening the, the, of the first Easter, where Jesus showed his wounds to all who were gathered, all who were gathered already saw his wounds. And so Jesus turns directly to Thomas, and he says, Thomas, it's me. Place your finger right here where the nail was. Thrust your hand into my side where I was pierced by the spear. It's me, Thomas. I am alive. St. Augustine wrote this, For nails had pierced his hands, a spear had laid open his side, and there the marks of the wounds are preserved for healing the hearts of the doubting. Thomas needed to see Christ's wounds for himself, and Jesus obliged him. And then there's the command from Jesus, stop doubting, Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. Maybe better translated, Thomas, don't be disbelieving, be believing. And then Doubting Thomas gives the boldest confession of who Jesus is written in all of the Gospels. He cries out, my Lord and my God. We aren't even told if Thomas took Jesus up on the offer to touch the wounds. All it says is Jesus showed him the wounds and he believed. See, Jesus' presence casts out Thomas's fears and Thomas's doubts. The impact of the resurrection on Thomas is that he is able to make the bold confession of that, that Jesus is truly God himself, God in the flesh. The impact of the, of the resurrection on Thomas is that he's able to take that confession as far away as India, the impact of the resurrection on Thomas is that he's able to take that confession even to death where he was martyred for confessing that faith. And this is the Thomas that we call doubting. And then Jesus tells Thomas, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Thomas doubted and Thomas wanted proof and he got to see Jesus face to face. He got to see Jesus in the flesh. But Jesus tells us that, that if we believe and have not seen, that we are blessed. And I've got to be honest, there's a part of me that, 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 that sounds kind of like a, a consolation prize. Thomas actually got to see. But we have to take it only on faith. But brothers and sisters, Thomas was but one more in a long list of witnesses who saw Jesus after the resurrection. And their testimony is what helps us believe. And there's another detail in this story that, that I find interesting. Um, multiple times throughout the Gospels, when Thomas is mentioned, it says Thomas, also called Didymus. Didymus is a Greek word that means twin. So it says Thomas, also called the twin. Well, if we backtrack a little bit further, Thomas, the name Thomas, is a Hebrew name, which at its root is the twin. Thomas the twin, the twin, the twin. What are the writers of the Gospels trying to get us to understand by giving us this detail? Now, if you look, you'll find a lot of wacky speculation that, that, oh, he's called the twin because he looked a lot like Jesus, and I don't know where anybody gets anything like that. But one, one theory that I think merits 
some thought is there's plenty of scholars who speculate that we are told that Thomas is the twin because he's our twin. We are to see Thomas in ourselves and ourselves in Thomas. And that when Thomas doubts, it's our doubt. And when Thomas boldly confesses, it's our bold confession as well. Now, it's not the doubts of Thomas or the doubts of ourselves that is the problem. The problem comes in when we let the doubts take us away from Jesus. It's Jesus who cast out the fear and the doubts of those early disciples. But when we try and look outside of Jesus, when we try and look to our own reason and understanding, that's where things can start getting into the sinful. That's where things can start to lead us away from the truth. Just this past Palm Sunday in the UK, the BBC released the results from a poll that they did, polling uh, uh, British people from, from all over the country, asking them a series of questions on faith and Easter and the Bible and, and the resurrection. And the results of this poll stated that less than 25% of all professing Christians believe the biblical account of the resurrection. Almost a quarter of professing Christians say that Jesus bodily rose from the grave. In one of the articles that, that, that I was reading about this, there was a woman who's the, the, um, the spokesperson, uh, press secretary for a group in England called the Modern Church. And uh, this, this woman said that, that we can't expect adults to believe the things that we were taught in Sunday school, that, that we have developed so much as people that it's ludicrous to think that the miraculous things that the Bible tell us really happened the way that they told us when we were young. And so it just makes sense that people would not believe that Jesus bodily rose from the, from the grave. Brothers and sisters, Paul tells us that if Christ did not rise from the dead, that our faith is in vain, that our faith is meaningless. Paul tells us that, that if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are to be pitied among all men. When we use our reason and understanding to pull apart who Jesus really was to say that he didn't really die on the cross or he didn't really rise from the dead, then it destroys the tenets of our faith. And so we, we need to look outside of our own understanding and look to Jesus to cast out our doubts and our fears. We may not see Jesus now as Thomas and those other disciples did in, during those 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, but we still get to see him every place that he promises to be. Mary recognized Jesus when he called out her name. And we all hear Jesus call our name in the waters of baptism as we are washed of our sins and adopted into the family of God. The resurrected Jesus told Mary not to hold on to him because, because he had not yet ascended to, to the Father. We don't even get to hold on to Jesus, but he gives us his body, the church, to hold on to during those times when we doubt, during those times when we struggle until he returns again. The two on the road to Emmaus, they had their hearts burn inside them as, as Jesus explained to them all the things that the prophets and the Psalms said about him and why he would come and why he would die and rise again. 
He has promised to be in his living word. And he is all throughout Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between. And we get to be in the presence of Jesus and have him cast out our fears when we are in the, in the presence of him in his word. Thomas, Thomas demanded to touch. He wanted to touch and see in order to believe that it was Jesus. Jesus allows us to taste and see that he is good as he gives us his body broken and his blood outpoured in his holy meal. When we doubt, Jesus is present in all the places that he promised to be to cast out our fears and to cast out our doubts. He gives us the gift of faith. That gift of faith is what allows us to believe. His presence where he promised to be casts out all of our fear and doubt. And his presence allows us to call out with our twin, my God and my Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter who was there in that room on that first Easter, Peter who was there in that room on the week after Easter when, when, when Jesus presented himself to Thomas, Peter says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. John finishes up this, this section of his gospel by saying, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Brothers and sisters, the impact of the resurrection on our life is that we who were dead in our sin are now made alive in Christ. That we who once doubted are assured by the testimony of those who have gone before us in the living word of God for our good and for our salvation and for his glory. Amen.